just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. The early part of the week, plenty of stuff happening today, tomorrow, the next day. It just keeps coming. So there's never any shortage of material for the Rational Boomer Podcast. Now that said, I have no emails to read and I have nobody from the listening audience saying, Hey Mike, I'd like to be on this show. You motherfuckers are going to have to pick up the slack here a little bit. Kick it up a notch. You're expecting me to do everything. (laughs) I really count on those emails, and I look forward to those people who want to be on the show because, frankly, it makes my job a little bit easier. And it's not all about me being lazy. Well, partially me being lazy, but it's more about I need the interaction from the audience to make the show better. I think you'll find when I have a guest on that's a listener, the shows are really good. I think you'll find it very interesting or more interesting when I have emails getting insights and thoughts from people in the audience. That's what this is about. I can sit here and I can talk about the things I talk about. I'm happy to do it, but I think it's better when you participate. So help a brother out. (laughs) Get involved. Send me an email. If you want to send me an email that says, Mike, you suck, great. I could do 10 minutes on that. (laughs) I could probably bring in guests to support your point of view. But anyway, if you have an email, a question, comment you want to send, rationalboomer at gmail.com. Simple as that. If you want to be on the show, we can talk about it. Again, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. We'll talk about it. We'll set it up. We'll do it. You've heard how they've gone. They're not hard. They're easy. And uh, we need you to participate. All right. Let's talk about a woman you no doubt heard about, Ashley Babbitt. You remember her. She was... One of the members of the insurrectionists, she's the one that charged the U.S. Capitol. She was with them when they broke the windows and tried to break into the Capitol. She was with them when they were screaming for the heads of Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. Yeah, she was in the midst of that crowd. In fact, some may even say she was kind of a leader of it. But then things took a turn, for her at least. They broke a window going into the U.S. Capitol. She was going to be the first one through. She went through the window and into the Capitol illegally. Unfortunately for her, there was a law enforcement official there. He saw what was happening. He saw the potential danger to uh, uh, members of Congress, and he shot and killed her. Now, a lot of people are screaming about that, mostly Republicans, but the fact of the matter is that went down exactly the way it should go down. Ashley Babbitt was involved in a violent insurrection. They were threatening to kill members of Congress and the vice president. I mean, what the fuck else are you supposed to do? The cop did the right thing, and he was completely exonerated. 
But here's the problem. The Republicans want to make Ashley Babbitt a martyr. They want to say that what she was doing was perfectly correct. They're even trying to say that, well, she was trying to stop people from going in. Yeah, right, motherfucker. Look at the video. She was screaming with the best of them. She was charging the building. And she jumped in that building, the U.S. Capitol, as quickly as she could. Now, she wasn't innocent. She is the poster girl for fuck around and find out. And she found out, unfortunately. And now, of course, the Republicans are trying to twist it that she is a martyr. You know, it's funny. They can talk about um, Ashley Babbitt in this way. But when the names Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Trayvon Martin, when those names comes up, they are completely quiet. They're mum. In fact, they think the police did the right thing in those situations. White supremacy, racism just screams out of their beings. They can't help but expose who they are. They are fucking racist. They are white supremacists. Now, here's the thing. The reason I brought this up is because something else happened. Rudy Giuliani has a podcast. Yeah, go figure. Rudy can't string together two or three sentences at a time without screwing up. How the fuck does he have a podcast? Apparently, it shows anybody can have a fucking podcast. So anyway, Rudy Giuliani has uh, Ashley Babbitt's mom as on as a guest. And it's something her mom said that really took me aback and that kind of angered me. <laughs> she said... People are treating her, Ashley Babbitt, her daughter, worse than a black woman. (laughs) What? Worse than a black woman? Are you suggesting that if what happened to Ashley Babbitt in your mind, if she happened to be a black woman, it would be more justified? You see what I mean? They can't help but spew this venom and this hate and this racism. Even when they're in their saddest moments, when they're trying to be compelling and try to plead for some kind of help, they can't even get it out of the system then. They still have to be racist. Here's the thing. Ashley Ashley Babbitt is no hero. She is no martyr. She is a criminal. She fucked around and found out, and she ended up dead. I'm sorry a young woman ended up dead, but, you know... She was asking for it. She should have known what was going to happen as a former military member. But she chose to uh, be caught up in all this Trump fucking cult shit. And she took a risk and she lost. It's as simple as that. Now, if you want to blame somebody for Ashley Babbitt's death, I think the blame would be better placed on Donald Trump. You see, if Donald Trump had done something during the uh, insurrection, and we know for 187 minutes he did nothing, if he had done anything, Ashley Babbitt may not have died. Five police officers maybe wouldn't have died. 150 police officers might not have been injured. But Donald Trump did nothing. If you want to blame somebody for Ashley Babbitt's murder, 
Well, first of all, it's not a murder. It was completely justified. But if you want to blame somebody for her being dead currently, well, then you have to look to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the responsible party. And you know, it's ironic. The most damage that Donald Trump has done to this country is when he did nothing. Donald Trump is a lazy fuck. He likes to talk big. He likes to put on a big show, but he doesn't like to actually do anything. Case in point, COVID, the pandemic. Now, had Donald Trump done something to help protect this country from COVID, in the beginning, it would have never gotten as bad as it did. One million people wouldn't have died. Sure, people would have died, but maybe 100,000, which is crazy in its own right. But that's far better than a million people. But again, Donald Trump chose to do nothing. He thought the pandemic would work against him in the uh, election in 2020. So he just decided to say, well, it doesn't exist. It's not here. Don't worry about it. Well, sadly for him... In the end, the pandemic may be the very reason why he lost in 2020. He thought he could just forget about it, act like it didn't happen. But it did happen, and it did happen in a horrific way. And that may be part of the reason, if not all of the reason, why Donald Trump lost in 2020. But again, it doesn't stop there. We have the insurrection we have his buddies, his fans, his cult attacking the U.S. Capitol. Now, the way he saw it was that these people were fighting for him, trying to get back his power. And all he did is sit in the dining room with a fucking Big Mac, acting gleeful as fuck, watching these people do this. We know for a fact that he sat there for 187 minutes and did absolutely nothing. So the deaths on January 6th can be attributed to Donald Trump as well. Now, it's interesting. When I did this story on TikTok, somebody brought up another story that I'd forgotten about. And uh, it's worth mentioning. There was another young woman that died that day. She was a Trumplifuck. She was part of the crowd, part of the cult, part of the insurrection. But this woman was a little different. I guess she was kind of shy and unsure of herself. Uh, she needed some place to belong, so she joined in with these insurrectionists, and she uh, felt like she had a home, even though it was really out of her character. Well, she was going toward the Capitol, and when things got a little rough, she ran away. And some friends went with her, too. Well, the crowd starting to move when things started happening at the Capitol, and this young woman fell down. She fell down on the ground. And now all the Trumplifucks coming away from the Capitol trampled her, trampled her to death. I don't know if you remember this story, but it did happen. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. I kind of laughed at the story when it first came out on January 6th or shortly thereafter because the ironic thing about this story is that this woman who was trampled to death by her own people, by the Trumplifucks, was also carrying a flag and that flag said, don't tread on me. 
That's kind of how sick my humor is. This young woman dies, she's trampled, and she's carrying a sign or a, a flag that says, don't tread on me. Somehow, in my weird mind, that's funny. It's funny because she was a Trumplican. Now, I didn't know this woman. She might have been a perfectly nice woman caught up in something she couldn't handle, and I'm sorry that she died. But how are you going to blame the police or the members of Congress for that death? That death is just as tragic as Ashley Babbitt dying. She wasn't violent. She was trying to get away from the violence. She fell down, and these people who don't give a fuck about anybody but themselves walked right over her. Her own people walked right over her and killed her. What a horrific death. Again, this woman would likely be alive had Donald Trump just done something, fucking anything. He should have done something, but he did nothing. And it's ironic that some of his his greatest failures, where there are the most deaths and destruction and damage to our country, was when Donald Trump did absolutely nothing. Fucking nothing. Now let's talk about Donald Trump a little bit. You're kind of seeing right now, and maybe you can't see it, but I'm seeing it, Donald Trump is losing his footing. He's losing his grip on the Republican Party. He's not in as strong a position as he once was. You know, I listened to the media and talking about the January 6th committee hearings, and uh, people are asking the moderators, uh, do you think it's doing anything? Do you think it's having an impact? And they'll say, well, I'm not sure. I don't know. It's the economy. It's the inflation and all this stuff. And I have to think one of two things. They're saying that to just stir it up, or they have no perceptive capabilities at fucking all. As I look at this situation, I see power being drained from Donald Trump. He doesn't have the power he once did, uh, you know, even six months ago. There was a story that came out yesterday about uh, the New York Post. Now, the New York Post, you know, is a fucking rag. It's a fucking tabloid. But uh, big supporter of Donald Trump, and Donald Trump loved the New York Post, mainly because they were a big supporter of Donald Trump. And, of course, the New York Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who is a piece of shit in his own right. Well, it's interesting. And this is where I see the tide turning a little bit. The New York Post came out with a story, and the writer of the story, I don't remember his name, and I don't even fucking care. I don't read the New York Post. But the writer of this story said that he didn't believe Donald Trump was fit to be president again. (laughs) His own hometown rag says Donald Trump is unfit to be president. And, of course, you've got Fox News kind of turning their heads away from Donald Trump. And the thing is, is all this information is coming out. And it's impossible for them to ignore it. It's impossible for them to um, spin it, divert, distract, whatever. They just have to report it. And they have to change their tune, other that otherwise they will lose what little credibility they already have. And this is to the detriment of Donald Trump. So when people say, well, I'm not sure if the hearings are doing anything, 
They're doing a fucking lot. They're doing a lot. This information is getting out, getting out to the general public. And people can't deny it when it's coming from Republicans themselves. That's a wonderful thing about these hearings. There are no Democrats giving all this information. It's all Republicans, and many of them very close to Donald Trump in the White House. So as these people are coming out saying all the horrific things that Donald Trump did, it's hard to deny that. It's really fucking hard to deny that. Now, I know most people would like to see things happen instantaneously. I guess we as a country are guilty of demanding instant gratification. Well, that's not the way this is going to happen. That's not the way anything happens in politics. It always takes some time. It's a slow shift. It's a slow change. But when you can see the change happening, you know it's going the right way. And you know that ultimately it's going to be a huge failure for Donald Trump and the Republicans. And that's what we're seeing now. You're seeing the polls where the Democrats are leading as opposed to the Republicans. You're seeing the fundraising where Democrats are raising far more money than the Republicans. And now we're seeing the media, the likes of Fox News and the New York Post and others saying, well, you know, maybe Trump did go too far. And maybe they are just resigned to the fact that they're done with Donald Trump. They'll wring him out like a dish rag and send him away. I guarantee you that's what will happen when he becomes no longer useful. And uh, he's getting close to that point. People are getting tired of the shit and no results. The problem with this is, is that it's going to go to somebody else. Now, that's the question. Where is the Republican Party going to go? Are they going to go with Donald Trump? Then we know it's a mess. And if they get any kind of power, we know that's the end of democracy. But even if Donald Trump gets pushed to the side, gets thrown away like yesterday's garbage, if that happens, that doesn't mean that they're getting away from the ideology that Donald Trump started. That doesn't mean they aren't going to still be racist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, looking to overthrow the government. Whether Donald Trump is the leader or not, this Republican Party may still go that way. Donald Trump for Vladimir Putin and the Republican Party was a useful idiot. They knew he didn't care about anything or anybody. They knew he would take every chance just to benefit himself. So they thought they would use him to do this crazy shit. It hasn't been till now that the Republicans have found somebody dumb enough to do their bidding and do this crazy shit. Now, if Donald Trump goes by the wayside, that does leave the door open for Ron DeSantis, who is just as crazy, just as criminal, just as corrupt as Donald Trump, but maybe a tad smarter, which makes Ron DeSantis even more fucking dangerous. He is absolutely dangerous. Now, as I said in the previous podcast, Ron DeSantis may have some other problems, and he may never even get to 2024. So we're going to have to watch and see what the Republicans ultimately do. Are they going to continue with this ridiculous reign of white supremacy and insurrection? 
Or after all is said and done with Donald Trump, are they going to try to redeem themselves, try to get back to normal and get a normal candidate for 2024? In my mind, if I was a Republican and I wanted to get back to normal and get away from Donald Trump as quickly as I could, I'd put somebody like Adam Kinzinger up there. He's a young guy. He's a Republican. He is conservative, but he's more moderate than, say, Liz Cheney. He would be a good face for the Republican Party to run should they want to change, but I'm not convinced that they're interested in changing. Not at all. They seem to like this little groove they're in now with the racism and the misogyny and the uh, hating of LGBTQ people and the uh, suppressing of votes from the people of color. They seem to like this. And I'll tell you one thing about this. Why are they so extreme now? Why are they going this way? Part of it is Trump, but part of it is what's been in the Republican Party from the beginning. Let's take racism, for example. People would tell me that Donald Trump made racism better. No, he didn't. The racism has always been this bad. All Donald Trump did was make it safe for them to come from out under their rocks and show their colors. Those people were always there. They were just afraid to speak up. But once Donald Trump got into office, they felt comfortable. They were protected, or at least they thought they were protected, by Donald Trump. Now, the Republican Party has yet another problem, a big problem. And that problem is, is the era of the old white man is going by the wayside. Old white men are retiring and dying. The Republican Party won't have the old white men to help them maintain control now. There are more Democrats that vote than Republicans. The Republican Party is a dying party unless they change. And if they decide to change, it's going to take a little while to transition, which means they're going to hand the reins over to the Democrats for maybe a decade or more. So they're scared now. They're scrambling. They're trying to clutch every rock and save their power and do anything they can. That's why they're cheating so blatantly, you know, with the voter suppression, the gerrymandering, the overturning Roe v. Wade. They're grabbing at anything they can hold on to in hopes that they can maintain power. But they're smart enough to know this won't last. I mean, even if they won the midterms in 2024, the likelihood of them winning after that is slim. And that's mainly because the younger people, the millennials, and even the Gen Zs and some younger Gen Xers will be taking control of this country. It won't be the boomers anymore that have kept these old white men in office. So no matter what they do, they're going to lose power. The Republican Party will be irrelevant, ultimately. The Republican Party is going to have to do something. They're going to have to change. They're going to have to reinvent themselves uh, so they have any chance to be a factor in future elections. Now, I know a lot of you will say, I would love the Republican Party to crash and fade away. 
and just leave it to the Democrats. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that. We don't want one party without the power, with all the power, uh, whether it be the Republicans or the Democrats, because that spells trouble for democracy once again. See, that's the quandary we have right now. If the Republicans are allowed to continue to do what they want to do, we won't have a democracy. But if the Republicans completely die and fade away, then we are still going to have problems maintaining democracy. So we need either the Republicans to reinvent themselves or some other party come along. Now, the Democrats and the Republicans have always fought against third parties, and they have all the power, so third parties were never able to emerge and even compete. Not even Ross Perot really competed, even though he put on a hell of a campaign. So we're in a scary situation right now. We want the Republicans shut down, certainly in the midterms and certainly in 2024, but we need the Republicans to come back somehow, except in a different way. If we don't have two strong parties, we don't really have a democracy. So this is a weird, I mean, for me, when I see what the Republicans do, I would love to put them down like a rabid dog and get rid of them completely. And that would be fine in my mind for the moment. But in the long haul, that's not going to be the best thing for us. So we have to be careful how this is handled. We want to put down all the evil, all the racism, and all the misogynists and anti-Semites and, and insurrectionists. We want to put them down, send them back under the rocks, never to be heard from again. But we have to see how there's some way to maintain a second party in order to maintain our democracy. It's a real touchy situation. The point of my section here is, though, that you're seeing the tide change. It's slow. And that's exactly how it works in politics. It's slow. It's not going to be instantaneous. But at least we're headed the right way. And hopefully we'll get far enough ahead in the right way by November so the Republicans don't get the majority in the House or the Senate. That should be our greatest fear right now. That should be the thing we're fighting for, just maintaining at the bare minimum a majority in the House and the Senate, at least to keep it status quo. Now, if you want things to happen, things get fixed and things get better, then we need to get bigger majorities in the House and the Senate. And I think that's possible. In fact, I think that's likely in spite of what you hear on <clears throat> the left-leaning news sources. They want to make it scary. They want to make it dramatic. They want to make it um, worrisome. And to be perfectly honest, it may help the Democrats in the long run keep fomenting this fear. Because fear is what got all the Democrats out in 2020. And if we need to instill some fear to get all the Democrats out in 2022, so be it. But we've got to get beyond the point where it's a constant fight every day. We've got to get to the point where our government is doing what they're supposed to be doing and working for us. And the only way we're going to do that is expanding the margins in the House and Senate in the midterms. That should be our first focus. 
And, uh, but be aware of the signs. They are there. It may not be happening quickly enough for you, but the signs are there. Donald Trump is losing a step every day. And ultimately, he will be irrelevant. Trust me on this. That's the only way it can go for him. It's not going to be a resurgent for Donald Trump. There's too much evidence against him. He may even get indicted. He may even get sick because he's not the healthiest guy in the world. Don't worry about 2024 at this point. Let's make sure we get 2022 taken care of, and then we'll worry about 2024. All right, we will take a quick break, and we will be right back. Now, as much as I like Joe Biden, I have been critical of President Biden. And I believe it's justified. I think as far as him being president now, we're fortunate. I think he was just the guy to beat Donald Trump and just the guy to make the transition, hopefully into better days. That's why I don't think he'll run again in 2024. He'll be, what, 82 years old. That's just too much, too old. It's not going to work. And to be perfectly honest with you, his uh, his polls, his approval rating It's not very strong. I'm not really sure why. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But one of the things I've always been critical about Joe Biden is, is he doesn't seem to be tough enough. Now, I think in normal circumstances, he might be fine as president. But we've got a very aggressive, a political party in the Republicans that are on the attack mode. And when you have somebody that aggressive, sometimes... You have to offer strength in return. I've said this before. If you have a bully, sometimes the only way to stop them is to smack them in the snout and put them back on their heels or better yet, on their back. That's the only thing they will understand. That's the only thing they will respect. And that's the only thing that will stop them. Now, Joe Biden has been reluctant to do that. Never quite sure why, probably because he's an old school politician and there were days when that was the logical way to handle these things. Well, we are not in the old days anymore. Things aren't typical and it's very aggressive out there. And if you want to put down a bully, you've got to step up and be strong yourself. Well, we saw a little evidence of that yesterday. This was in uh, Washington, D.C. President Joe Biden decried his predecessor, Donald Trump, for failing to try and stop last year's deadly mob attack on the Capitol, saying Monday that Donald Trump's lack, he lacked the courage to act as hours of medieval hell unfolded. Every day we rely on law enforcement to save lives. Then on January 6th, we relied on law enforcement to save our democracy. Biden said in a pre-recorded speech to the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives annual conference in Orlando, Florida. Biden, who remains in isolation in the family quarters of the White House after testing positive for COVID last week. He seems to be getting better, but when I saw him speak yesterday, you could see he was a little bit congested, but he looked relatively healthy. Now, he previously slammed Trump for helping to incite the mob on January 6th, 2021, with a web of lies about the 2020 presidential election being marred by widespread voter fraud that never actually happened. 
But his comments to the conference were the clearest link Biden has made between Trump and the insurrection since a House committee investigating the attack on the Capitol began holding the hearings in June that we've been talking about. You saw what happened. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes, speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized, said Biden, whose voice is, as I say, still a little raspy and deeper than usual as he recovers from coronavirus. Lives were lost, and for three hours, the defeated former president of the United States watched it all happen as he sat in the comfort of the private dining room next to the Oval Office, just fucking watching TV. Now, Biden only said that first part. I said the last part. I would love to see the uh, Joe Biden say the F word, though. That referenced Cassidy Hutchinson, a former Trump administration White House aide, testifying before the White House January 6th committee about Trump's temper as he sat in his dining room and watched TV as he plans to, uh, as he had plans to overturn the election and how he watched it fall apart. It wasn't working, so he got angry. That's when the Big Mac and the fries went against the wall with the ketchup. Biden didn't mention the committee's work specifically during the taped address and has previously largely avoided the topic. He said after its opening hearing that the works was about allowing no one to place a dagger at the throat of our democracy, but also noted then that uh, he had not had time to watch the first installment. I guarantee you Joe Biden has watched it. I just personally think... uh, um, He's trying to stay out of it, much like he's trying to do with the DOJ. Just to show he's not having any influence on it. That is what politicians should do. That's what a president should do. And I'm sure that's what he's doing. But I'd be surprised if he's not watching the hearings. At the very least, he's getting uh, cliff notes from his advisors about what happened in the hearing. He knows what the fuck is up. He's not going to admit it, but he does know what's happening and how badly it's going for the Republicans. Now, here's an interesting story. And, you know, I think I think our news media is making a bigger deal out of this than it really should be. The Atlanta area prosecutor who is probing the effort by former President Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election result in Georgia was disqualified by a judge Monday from criminally investigating one of the 16 Republicans who served on a phony slate of pro-Trump electors. The ruling, a stunning rebuke to Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, came after a judge found that a conflict of interest barred Willis and her office from investigating State Senator Burt Jones, one of the sham electors. Now, people are making this a big deal. The district attorney last month hosted a fundraiser for a Democratic candidate 
who went on to win his party's nomination and will now face off against Jones in the general election, whom Willis had identified as a target of the grand jury's investigation. You remember that. She said that these fake electors were targets. Well, now a judge said, yeah, you can't do that. You can't hold a fundraiser for the guy who's running against the guy you're calling a target. I'm a little disappointed in Fonnie Willis. She should know this. This, I understand what the judge is saying. I don't like it, but the fact of the matter is he's right. And Fonnie Willis should have known this. But to make this a big deal is ridiculous. It's not a big deal. She has told 16 Republicans who were fake electors that they are a target. Fifteen of those Republicans are still a target. This one Republican isn't a target for the moment. But that doesn't mean she can't continue the investigation into the things he did. And it doesn't mean that she can't ultimately indict this person. But probably not until after the general election. You know, people are worried about partisanship or corruption or whatever. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know why Fonnie Willis would get involved in a fundraiser with um, a politician who's in the party opposite of the one she's investigating. I mean, that's that's just asking for trouble. I think it was a dumb move by Fonnie Willis. I think it was a mistake. I think she got her hand slapped and she fucking deserved it in this case. <laughs> I don't like it, but she should have known better. But again, to make this a, a big deal is ridiculous. There's 16 people that are picked out as potential targets in her investigation, and one of them she can't continue with. But that's not permanent. After the election, she can do whatever she wants. Now, granted, that delays that one person. But you got to remember, she's got 15 others. She's got Donald Trump. She's got Mark Meadows, uh, Lindsey Graham. She's got plenty going on. This hasn't destroyed anything. All it's really done is caused her a delay for one person out of more than 15, maybe 20 people, including the president and Mark Meadows. Um The judge said this scenario creates a plain and actual untenable conflict. Judge Robert McBurney of the Superior Court of Fulton County wrote in his Monday order disqualifying Willis from pursuing George or Jones. Any decision the district attorney makes about Senator Jones in connection with the grand jury investigation is necessarily infected by it. An investigation of this significance garnering the public attention it necessarily does and touching so many political nerves in our society cannot be burdened by legitimate doubts about the district attorney's motives, he wrote. I'll be perfectly honest with you, this judge may have done her a favor by doing this, may have done a favor to this investigation, because you see, if he allowed it and they got into it, then halfway through it, after they've indicted all these other 15 people, then it might come out and say, oh, she was flawed. And you know how the Republicans always do it. If one little thing is bad, everything is bad. So if they call her off from dealing with this Jones 
character until after the election, that's fine. She can focus on 15 other fake electors, Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, and whoever the fuck she wants. This doesn't shut down the investigation. It's just a minor speed bump. It's a dumb speed bump that should have never occurred, but it's just a minor speed bump. It doesn't derail the whole investigation in Georgia, not even close. It's just this one guy. So understand that. When you hear on TV from the uh, news sources saying, oh my God, it's horrible. This is derailing the whole situation. It's not. It's not. It's still going. It has no impact on whether they might indict Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, or anyone else. It has no bearing on it at all. It's just this one guy. So whatever you hear, don't get too excited about it. Um, It's it's not as big as some people are making it out to be. The order Monday rejected similar disqualification requests from 11 11 other uh, uh, phony electors who were subpoenaed by Willis's office, meaning the Fulton County District Attorney's probe of those targets may continue and the investigations of Jones is expected to be handed off to another prosecutor's office. So that's the other thing to consider. It doesn't mean it has to be over. It just means Fonnie Willis can't handle it. And there are probably perfectly capable other prosecutors in the DA's office. Still, the development represents a a significant unforced error by a prosecutor handling one of the nation's most sensitive and high-profile criminal investigations. That's my point. Why would you make this fucking mistake in probably the biggest case you would ever investigate? I mean, this has perhaps the most significant legal threat to Donald Trump as the former president is looking at a 2024 bid to the White House. The issue arose after Jones and 11 other pro-Trump electors filed a court motion to disqualify Willis, arguing in part that her role in hosting and headlining a mid-June fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, a Democratic candidate vying against Jones for lieutenant governor of Georgia, represented a conflict of interest. So this Jones clown is running for uh, lieutenant governor. And she held a fundraiser for his Democratic opponent. You can see where the conflict is. Whether you like it or not, it is a fucking conflict. Willis in court papers had urged the judge to reject Jones' request to disqualify her. She argued that Bailey was still locked in a runoff with a fellow Democratic contender at the time of the event. But McBurney was unpersuaded, noting that whoever won the runoff would go on to face Jones. Thus, the district attorney pledged her name, likeness, and office to Bailey as her candidate of choice at the time when, if Bailey was successful, which he was, he would face Senator Jones. He wrote this choice, which the district attorney was within her rights as an elected official to make, as consequences. The grand jury recently, of course, issued subpoenas to several high-profile figures, including Trump allies Senator Lindsey Graham and former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, as well as conservative lawyers John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Cleta Mitchell. Willis's office recently informed 12 of the 16 Republicans who served as fake Trump electors that they could face criminal charges. 
Georgia has figured prominently in the investigations of Trump's effort to overturn uh, his defeat by President Biden. In the weeks after the election, a telephone recording shows Trump told Georgia's Secretary of State Raffensperger to find the number of votes required to overturn Biden's margin of victory, which, of course, Raffensperger uh, refused to do. You know, you get these lawyers. They might be Ivy League lawyers. Maybe they're not, but they're supposed to be smart. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what Fonnie Willis is doing. And as was pointed out, this is a very important investigation. This is a crucial investigation. This is the one investigation, maybe the one that takes Donald Trump down. There is no room for mistakes or poor choices. And Fonnie Willis made a poor choice in this situation. It doesn't ruin the whole investigation, but it certainly doesn't fucking help it at all. It just is not fucking helpful. So we'll see how it goes down there. But when you watch the TV news and they make it sound like it's all over down in Georgia because of this one little mistake, don't you believe it. It's not true. It's not true at all. The investigation continues. Donald Trump and the others all have all kinds of fucking problems. And this setback has nothing to do with them. Well, the January 6th committee had an interesting uh, witness to testify just yesterday, I believe. The former chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence confirmed Monday that he testified last week in front of a grand jury investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Short's participation which apparently CNN reported earlier, citing a source familiar with the matter, makes him the highest-profile witness known to have testified in the criminal investigation into the attack. His testimony signals that prosecutors are scrutinizing the Trump White House as part of the investigation, which has expanded beyond rioters who breached the Capitol. Short told CNN's Aaron Burmett, Uh, Burnett, I can confirm that I did receive a subpoena for the federal grand jury, and I complied to that subpoena. But under advice of counsel, I really can't say much more than that. We don't know what he said, but I guarantee you this, because he's so high profile, don't be surprised if in the next hearing in August, we are going to see Mr. Short's testimony, at least portions of it. Now, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal reported Monday that a second top former Pence aide, Greg Jacob, was subpoenaed in the inquiry and testified before the federal grand jury as Pence's general counsel. Jacob played a critical role in countering efforts to persuade the then vice president not to certify the electoral results and was part of Pence's team that pushed back on fringe legal theories. Now, earlier this year, the... Justice Department expanded its investigation beyond rioters. Now we're getting closer to Donald Trump, and that is what has become very interesting in this whole January 6th committee. The The Justice Department has issued several subpoenas to Republican operatives connected to the scheme to put forward alternate electors, and the grand jury heard testimony from Stop the Steal organizer 
Ali Alexander. He is the leader or was the leader or is the leader of the Proud Boys. We'll probably see some video on him too. Short and his attorney Emmett Flood were seen Friday leaving the federal courthouse where a federal grand jury is hearing testimony related to January 6th and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Short was in a meeting at White House two days before the Capitol attack in which Trump and lawyer John Eastman tried to persuade Pence that he had the power to stop the certification of the election results. So you can see that Short has some information. I mean, he was there. He was in the thick of it. The House Select Committee, which is conducting separate parallel investigation into January 6th, declined to comment. Short testified to the committee in January. Earlier Monday, a video released by Democratic Representative Elaine Luria of Virginia, who was one of the leaders in the last uh, last hearing, showed a copy of the speech Trump gave on January 7, 2021, with edits that Ivanka Trump identified as coming from her father. Among the lines Trump crossed out were, I'm directing the Department of Justice to ensure all lawbreakers are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and legal consequences must be swift and firm. Here's an interesting story. There's a GOP representative in the House, Representative Glenn Thompson. Well, Glenn Thompson attended his gay son's wedding last week, three days after opposing a bill in the U.S. House that would enshrine protections for same-sex marriage into federal law. Thompson's office said in a statement that the Pennsylvania congressman and his wife were thrilled to attend the nuptials and are very happy to welcome a new son-in-law into the family. Congressman and Mrs. Thompson were thrilled to attend and celebrate their son's marriage on Friday night as he began his new chapter of his life. Madison Stone, a spokeswoman for Thompson, said that the Uh, said in the statement the Thompsons are very happy to welcome their new son-in-law into the family. Now, NBC first reported Thompson's attendance at his son's wedding following his vote against Respect for Marriage Act. Thompson was one of the 157 Republicans to oppose the legislation, which would codify the right to same-sex and interracial marriages nationwide. Thompson's office did not respond to a follow-up question about why he decided to vote against the measure, which is now being considered by the Senate, where 10 Republicans are needed to overcome a filibuster. So this hypocritical fuck voted against same-sex and interracial marriages, yet his gay son was married and he attended the wedding. This is the epitome of hypocrisy. But again, it goes back to they go against what they know is right in their head. They go against their own interest just to side with these crazy Trumplifucks. It's a sad state of affairs. It shows this guy is incredibly weak. And I hope he, uh, he gets some heat for this. I'm sure that he will. I'm sure his own Republican Party is going to admonish him for actually attending a gay marriage, even though it was his son. Fucking hypocrisy. That's absolutely ridiculous.
Now let's talk about some stupid motherfuckers. Fresh from a double contempt of Congress conviction linked to his role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Steve Bannon, who's not in jail yet, he's going to be sentenced soon, but he's not in jail yet. You would think Steve Bannon would want to keep his mouth shut, but no. Steve Bannon is now calling on 4,000 shock troops to deconstruct the federal government brick by brick. Now, what the fuck does that mean? I don't honestly know. He wants to see people stepping forward saying, Hey, I want to be one of those 4,000 shock troops, Bannon said on his War Room podcast Monday. I tell you what about that podcast. You better listen to the fresh ones because uh, for a long time, maybe a year, maybe two years, uh, Bannon's going to be running the best of because he won't be available to record his podcast. This is taking on a defeating and destructing the administrative state. Shock troops are assault forces that lead an attack. Suck on it, said Bannon. We're destroying this illegitimate regime. This guy amazes me. Every time he makes these threats or makes these claims, he's shut down. He's subpoenaed. Then he's indicted. Then he goes on trial. And then he's convicted awaiting sentencing. And this fucker is still talking like he's winning. And he's not. I don't know if he knows any better or he's just trying to fool everybody else, but it's not fucking working. Bannon's incendiary comments evoked his uh, ominous call the day before the U.S. Capitol riot when he told supporters then that uh, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. We're on we're on the point of attack. Strap in. That's what he said on January 5th. After all he's gone through and the fact that he's going to jail, you would think he could learn to shut up. But he can't. Nothing's going to keep you out of jail, Bannon. You might as well shut up, do your time, and hope you can get out with good behavior. Bannon was responding to an Axios report last week that Trump and his allies are already plotting to replace all federal officials and civil service workers with those whose key qualification would be slavish devotion to Trump if he retakes the White House in the 2024 election. But see, that's the funny thing. Donald Trump is not going to be back in office in 2024. There is absolutely no way. Now, Bannon hailed the radical plot for Trump to take control of the nation. Former Trump campaign advisor Steve Cortez vowed on the podcast that Trump's next term would be far more consequential than the last one. Both men were clearly familiar with the game plan. This is all these Republicans ever fucking do. They make threats, they make claims, but they never come through with them. So talk all you want. We don't buy this bullshit anymore. You don't have the guts, the courage, or the power to do any of these things. And frankly, when the midterms come and go, it's going to be worse for you. Come 2024, any Republican is going to be lucky to even be in the race because the Republican Party is in the process of being dismantled by the January 6th committee, Georgia, New York, Washington, D.C. They're tearing them apart. 
They can talk big all they want, but they have no chance. Bannon had also called for shock troops to immediately seize control of the nation a month before the 2020 election when he expected Trump to win re-election or seize control of the vote results. Pre-trained teams need to be ready to jump into federal agencies. It's fucking amazing to me. It's just fucking amazing to me. I'm interested to see how this all shakes out. I mean, they always have Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and all these fucks have all this confidence. They're constantly on the grift. They're constantly blowing smoke up the asses of these Trump fucks. And all these Trump fucks do is sit back and enjoy it and believe everything they hear. Even though none of it has come true, not one of it, whether we're talking about QAnon or the Trump fucks or Donald Trump himself, there are all these claims and all these threats and not once, not one time has any of these things come true. How long does it take for Trump fucks to wake up and say, hey, I think we're getting screwed here? Apparently, we haven't reached that point yet because some of them are still buying this bullshit and these people are still using this strategy. It truly amazes me. It's a sad state of affairs to know that people in this country, a small percentage, but a percentage nonetheless, are that stupid, that gullible, that willing to join the cult, to drink the Kool-Aid and do whatever these criminal, corrupt pieces of shit tell them to do. We need more leaders in this country and less followers. And frankly, the followers of the Trump cult are dangerous in this country. Going back to what I said before, we've got to take control of this country and send these fucks back under their rocks, allow them to hide, to never return. That is what we need to do in this country. And Steve Bannon can say whatever the fuck he wants, but he lost. He lost big every step of the way. He is going to jail. And once he goes to jail, he will be a non-factor. And as I've said, he's definitely going to jail for some period of time. So he better have a lot of uh, best of podcasts to play while he's away because he isn't going to be doing it. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. Again, I'm going to implore you. Feel free to send emails with questions, comments, insights, whatever you got. Rationalboomer at gmail.com. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show, I encourage you to step up and do it. Everyone we've had on as a guest has worked out pretty well, and every one of them has said said to me at the end of it, wow, that was easier than I thought it would be. It's not hard. I'm not going to let you fail. And if something horrible happens in the podcast, I can always edit it out. Do not worry. I got you here. But you must participate. All right. You have a great day. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.